Welcome to the Beauty, Brains, and Barbells podcast, the show that talks all things female resistance training to help women feel beautiful, confident, and strong in and out of the gym. Now for your hosts, Jordan and Gretchen. Welcome back. We have Coach Sarah Larson here again to talk all things menopause. If you missed the episode on perimenopause and menopause, go back to it because it was super helpful. This episode is dedicated to all things postmenopause. So when you hit that 24-hour mark of bummer, you are in menopause to now you are in postmenopause. We want to cover that that fun stage of life. So here we are. Yeah, let's do this. So tell me, what is postmenopause? Postmenopause is everything after menopause, menopause being the day 12 months after your last period. So it officially is the rest of your life. I was just going to say, so you, you carry this with you until you die. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds great. Um, Now this is, you know, it's one of those, I deal with a lot of women in perimenopause. I also have a handful of women who are postmenopausal. And this again is a stage of life where I think women think you no longer can lose weight, can't build any muscle, things work differently now. What's different about postmenopause versus perimenopause and life before you even entered menopause? So the big indicators for postmenopause is this is when we as women really hit that estrogen deficit. So our estrogen levels really tank. Um, Our testosterone levels change too, but not as much and not as significantly um, as estrogen and progesterone also kind of tanks. So we have this sort of huge, I say system failure, but it's no, it is that dramatic. It it is, it's a massive long-term system failure. And so our bodies are readapting to what it means to live without these hormones constantly as a part of our existence. And it's it's a huge change. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've had these your entire life to this point. And it, it is like in, in all systems down type of thing. You know, it's like you have a zoom meeting all of a sudden, because this happens to me, uh, your zoom speaker doesn't work. So you can't talk and you have to record a podcast. So you have to figure out a different way to do things. That's um, never happened. Never happened. <laughs> The really weird part is I had a meeting yesterday morning. Zoom audio didn't work. Couldn't my microphone didn't work again. Oh. An hour later, I did nothing. I closed my laptop. I trained, came back, open laptop, entered another Zoom meeting, just fine. So thanks, Zoom. Thank you. Thanks, technology, for making life so much easier for all of us. Exactly. Um, anyway, out of technology, which is something I'm sure every woman in postmenopause today loves to. Um, let's talk about the nutrition aspects of it. Do things differ from perimenopause to postmenopause? Yes and no. Um, again, you know, like we talked about with perimenopause, functional, healthy nutrition is always the massive component. Um, there are some cases that are being made now that your need for protein increases even more in that postmenopausal period than is required in perimenopause. Um, 
a lot of that is part of the system shift that's happening with estrogen is that our bone density decreases. Uh, in many cases, we start to have um, a higher risk for atherosclerosis or heart conditions and heart disease. Um, it impacts, you know, we experience brain fog during perimenopause, but um, it can really impact our brain's ability to function. So protein becomes this really big building block in postmenopause that's often overlooked. Again, this does not under any circumstances require people to go strictly ketogenic um, and avoid carbs at all cost, but it really is a big player. Um, and I've heard like Dr. Peter Atia, he has a podcast called The Drive. Um, he argues that the long-term benefits of higher protein intake in every way, shape, and form mitigate any of the perceived ideas that a high protein diet can be bad for you. So, you know, in perimenopause, and you you can answer this better than I can, but I usually hear 0.8 milligrams of, or 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of weight. Um, and in some recommendations, I've heard as high as two, one for sure. Um, but the protein becomes a really big foundational piece. And a lot of that also is because our our bone density as that's decreased needs to have more of that building block in order to not lose that. And, and coinciding with this is it is harder for your body to maintain muscle at, at that point. So you are, you're putting more protein in to give your body more of the amino acids it needs to support muscle maintenance. It's, it's again, it's like, you just have had, you just had another card stacked against you. And that's a, that's a bummer. That's unfortunate, but it doesn't mean that you let everything else crumble. Um, it's, there are research studies out there and it, it, it is not, it is not on the population of postmenopausal women, but that have found three grams per, and I can't remember if the study is three grams per pound. I'm, I'm guessing it's three grams per pound lean body mass of protein consumption. So like for me at 160 pounds, 165 pounds, that's a lot of protein. That is a lot of protein. And they found it not to be detrimental. And they found that any of the risk factors that go into this are, are much less of a concern than what happens if you don't, just like you said. And I don't ever intend to eat over 400 grams of protein, but it's, there is, there is the argument of like, oh, that's too much on my kidneys. If you have a kidney issue, that's a separate conversation. We, we would have a unique discussion on your nutritional needs, but your body needs the amino acids at this point. It it needs the help to support that because your bones, those are, the density is decreasing there. Your muscles are atrophying at a higher rate. We need to give your body more to support that. Absolutely. And sugar, you know, uh, particularly artificial sugars um, or added sugars more specifically um, are a huge player at this stage because our, you know, I'm, Pre-diabetes and diabetes becomes a much bigger player too in postmenopausal women, um, and a lot of that I think is more about our highly processed sugars than any kind of natural sugar intake by any stretch. Um, so yeah, sugar becomes a huge player, and alcohol also is a is a massive player that the less you can consume and and feel good about it, the better. I mean, it's also like your tolerance goes down, you know, as you as you get older. If you're, you're the average adult, 
it just, it's another way of the world and the universe telling you, okay, that your body cannot tolerate as much alcohol anymore. All I'm hearing is that I'm going to be a much cheaper date the older I get. (laughs) So much so. Although that filet mignon might might offset the cost of the uh, that's true i'm going to be like i need more protein so i need two fillets and i won't take the second glass of wine <laughs> the problem, gretchen, yeah, are you, sorry i was gonna say gretchen are you gonna be able to find a man old enough to take you on a date well <laughs> it depends are they still gonna be alive i Milton might be uh in the ground by the time I hit post. Oh man. Pass. <laughs> hey, guy. <laughs> and then they got baby Brian who's just gonna live forever. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the training aspect of it. What is how should you change that? How should you approach your fitness when you're in this stage? Cardio um, shifts a lot here. Cardio is never bad, right? Heart health is a wonderful thing to do. But um, really focusing on those long, hard cardio workouts becomes, it's not detrimental. I don't ever want to say that cardio is detrimental. But one of the offsets of our estrogen lowering is that our cortisol levels also tend to sort of do this steady, constant increase. And doing more of those long-term, high-intensity cardio workouts part of the natural impact of that is our cortisol levels rise and it gets harder and harder for our bodies to process that and get rid of it and shed that after we do hard workouts or particularly in our high stress world and high stress environments our cortisol levels as women are becoming i mean almost i mean it's it, for all of us it's becoming a, a much bigger player than i think it was years and years ago even not even 10 years ago 15 years ago um So the building block piece, again, I'm going to sound a little redundant from the previous podcast, but if there's one thing that's going to help you, it is strength training. And there's never a bad time to start strength training. I think at this stage in life, it's super important to have help so that you're doing your training in a efficient, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Jordan, where you're building slowly, like you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to go to a gym and suddenly start doing leg presses and squats and stuff when you haven't done that before. So you've got to build into the strength slowly. So having someone walk alongside you with that, I think is really, really important. And that could be somebody on the internet. You don't necessarily have to go pay for a gym membership, but find somebody who really specializes in first time strength training um, and follow that person online, even if you need to. And I think so, right. You, the majority of women in postmenopause are older, right? We, we were talking 50 and above, generally speaking, that is a time where if you have never strength trained before, you kind of are, are in this mindset of, I can't do this. I've never done it before. So I can't do it. At that point, you're not training to get fit for your wedding day. You're not training to compete in powerlifting like the two of us. You're training to be a stronger woman in life. You're training to, I talk about it all the time. When my clients complain about getting up and down off the floor, I'm training you. So when you fall down, you are able to get yourself back up. When you are in bed in the morning, you are able to get out of bed in the morning. We're training more functionally. 
And I look at, you know, we, we talked about your mom in the last episode. I trained the both of you. Your training programs look so, so different. We lift heavier weights with you. For her, we do a lot more body weight and banded work. We have some dumbbells. She lifts things. She moves things. She is an active, active woman. So we want her to be able to move her body, but she doesn't need to get a 50 pound dumbbell and do hip thrusts like you did today. Absolutely. That's it. It's the goals are different. And that's what I think sometimes needs to be reminded to this population of people that you're, yes. Do you want to look good? Do you want to feel good in your body? A hundred percent. But there's, there's an aspect of feeling good and looking good when you're able to do the things in life that you want to do. You can go for hikes, you can um, go camping, you can play with your kids, maybe grandkids at that point. These are the things that you want to be able to do. You have to train for those things. Absolutely. And this is the huge piece of this is we have been trained to think that this is our lot in life. And that now our primary job is to learn coping skills. I mean, that is like the degree to which that has been ingrained in. I mean, even when I asked my mom, mom, what was your menopause experience like? She's, I mean, her reaction was like, I don't know. We didn't really talk about it. I don't think it was that bad. Of course, you have to understand my mom is the most phenomenal optimist and like genuine optimist, genuinely optimistic person I have ever met. So throw that into the mix. But she just even, she's like, we didn't talk about it. It just kind of happened. I think there were parts of it that weren't fun, you know, but that's how she talks about it. So I'm not going to get any information from my mom who is technically a greatest generation. She's older than a boomer even, but yeah, we've just been culturally hardwired to think that this is a stage in our lives where we kind of throw up our hands and go, well, here I am. And it's just, it's just not true. Oh, good. I was gonna say that's definitely something that I thought and talking with you over these last couple of podcasts has really helped give me the knowledge. And what I'm gathering is living a healthy lifestyle now at like Jordan and I's age, learning healthy habits of eating and strength training and working out will make that transition into the next stage of our lives that much easier because we have these healthy habits built up. I know like Jordan talks about her clients and um, protein is always something that people complain about getting in. That's a lot of protein that people have to get in, but it helps. So learn how to get your protein in now because when you're 50, 55, 60, that's not when you want to learn these new habits because it's so much harder to change. Absolutely. So I, I feel a lot less stressed knowing that I'm making these healthy habits now to help me along that journey. Yes. And I think it's really important to, if you are in this postmenopausal phase and you you feel like you've just been surviving, you can stop that right now. Like you can stop having that mentality this minute and go talk to someone, find a physician who can help. Um, There are options like hormone replacement therapy, which got a hugely massive bad rap in the late nineties, early two thousands with a women's health initiative study that came out. Um, 
new research, all kinds of new thinking, all kinds of new data has come out about the efficacy and safety around hormone replacement therapy, um, which is something that I highly suggest finding a physician who is particularly looking for a physician who is willing to prescribe it. That doesn't mean they're going to, and that doesn't mean that it's the best fit for you. All of, there's so many factors with family history, um, your history of cancer, particularly breast cancer, all of those things come into play there. But uh, hormone replacement therapy has functionally been written off for almost two decades. Um, and we have all suffered the consequences of that because it's just closed a conversation about ways we have access to help and assistance through this whole time um, for decades. It's it's really unfortunate. What do you think is a good point? Like if if somebody thinks they might be benefiting, they might be somebody who would benefit from hormone replacement therapy. It, you know, what would be something if you spoke to somebody who, you know, they're in their postmenopausal phase, when would you say, hey, I think you should consult with your doctor about this? Anytime you feel like it's impacting your life. I have an aunt who's 76 and still has almost debilitating hot flashes. Um, for, for some women that goes away. You know, I think this is, this is one of the hard things about peri and postmenopause is it's so individualized and all of us have really different combinations of system sy symptoms and sort of systematic issues. And so finding a physician and a healthcare provider, you really can trust, um, and that that is willing to at least have a conversation about the potential benefits of hormone replacement therapy, the benefits of acupuncture, the benefits of supplementation done safely, all of those things are available and there's access to all of this, but um, your average, I, I don't ever want to sound like your average physician isn't really informed about it, but so many women that I talk to, their experiences just a lot of sort of blase dismissal, um, lack of information. I mean, there are physicians who don't and haven't read all of the new research about hormone replacement therapy. Um, so it's it's a muddy, muddied water conversation, but I would really encourage people to advocate relentlessly for their own healthcare um, and to not take no or just deal with it as an answer. I think, I mean, specifically speaking on hot flashes, because I get a lot of women who, I mean, they're, they're, they're in perimenopause and, or they're postmenopause. And it's like, Hey, I'm getting a hot flash during my workout. Here's, here's the thing sometimes, right. It's, it's not actually a hot flash. I've, I'm not saying I've had a hot flash, but my example is you do a really hard set of squats. And then all of a sudden you go down into a plank position, your face gets really warm because your heart rate is up. Your, your blood is pumping. You, you are now warm because of that. When you are exercising, you're, you're going to get warm. It's not always guaranteed to be a hot flash. I like it very well could be it very well. Well, and hot flashes are really, and even hot flashes, the way we experience them is so different. Like I've heard women describe their hot flashes, like for women who have had children, I've heard women describe their hot flashes as their, like their milk letting down, like it starts in their chest and then it kind of just spreads all over. Some women have this like instantaneous full body sweat. Some people just are like 
my the back of my neck starts sweating or my lower back starts sweating. A lot of people complain about um, hot flashes just happening at night and having night sweats. Like it's it's so varied. And I have noticed, in fact, we were just saying before the podcast started, I was a super sweater long before. I was a super sweater when I was 13. And now in perimenopause, it's like, I'm just this, I'm a super, super duper, super sweater. Like I just <laughs> sweat more in general. It's great. It's really appetizing. Uh, <laughs> I sweat peeling an orange. Oh no. I mean, you come into the gym sweating. I do. Yeah. Legit. And that's where like you and your husband are a great pair. Cause he also comes in sweating one sweaty mess. We're great. Yeah. Just one sweaty mess. It's how we stay together. We just sweat together. Sweat together. That could be taken all kinds of wrong ways. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Especially after the exercises you had this morning. Great. Um, lots of lots of hip thrusts, Gretchen. <laughs> lots of hip thrusts, lots of butt admirations. Are you gonna be in the gym tomorrow? What day is tomorrow? Thursday? Brain fog. Um, no, I will be there Friday. Oh, oh. Sorry. Um, what are what are some other hacks or other things that you know about besides I mean because hormone replacement therapy before I get to that question I feel like a lot of women like you said they just don't want to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. it's it's I am so much of an action taker that sometimes it's so hard for me to hold my tongue on things of like if you are still having this bad of hot flashes go to the doctor get some help because I know that there are solutions, right? Um, but what are some other hacks or things that people can do? Maybe if they're not comfortable going to their doctor yet, if they haven't found that right physician that they want to talk to. The list is a little bit endless. There are some really, um, my understanding, and again, like I'm, I am no physician, so don't take anything I say as medical advice, but doing some research about supplementation can be really helpful. Um, I have found a lot of relief personally from acupuncture um, that can tend to be a little bit expensive. So if money is a factor, nutrition becomes a big player that you have a lot of control of control over. So again, going back to the maybe redundant, but super important conversation about increasing your protein intake, reducing your alcohol consumption, really reducing your sugar consumption. Those pieces are really easy everyday hacks that you can do. And I don't, I'm, I am not an extremist personally, so you don't have to never have a glass of wine, right? But can you reduce, can you just start by reducing by one glass a night or reducing by two glasses a week? Start to just do incremental small changes um, that can have a really long-term impact, even if you're starting at 65, 75. It doesn't really matter what day you start. Um, again, mental wellness, mental fitness is a huge, huge player taking care of our brain. Brain health, I think, finally is starting to get more of the attention that it needs. Um, understanding, we understand so much more about how our neurological fitness functions. Um, and we have a lot of, there are a lot of tools in our toolbox as coaches um, that I use uh, just to help women start to identify some of those really destructive inner thoughts and inner conversations and voices in their head that, um, 
just don't help anything. So for me, always my first advice with anyone is to start small and manageable and remember that there's time. This isn't a ticking time bomb. You have time to make really beautiful, manageable, successful choices that you have control over um, that are just going to compound effect in a positive way for the rest of your existence. Shout out to Mona, who is your acupuncturist. So logical. Uh, She is also one of my clients and you referred her to me. And so I still need to get in to see her. I've never had acupuncture. So pray for us. Uh, But she is awesome. She's super fun. You guys had a great workout this morning. (laughs) You laughed. You know, one of the things too, just even with the mental piece, um, I have been a terrible sleeper my whole life. I just, I don't sleep well. So if there is a sleep research study out there somewhere, I have read it. And one of the things that frankly kind of pissed me off was I read a study um, about the two, two of the most effective ways to treat disordered sleeping or, you know, sleeping issues is one, a placebo and two meditation. So of all of the medications of all of the different things that exist out there, many of which help many people and are totally fine and acceptable, two of the most like across the board, highly impactful treatments for sleep disorders are a placebo, taking a pill that you think is going to help and meditating. So the power of our minds to really do a lot of the heavy lifting cannot be underestimated. Hmm. Interesting. My sleep has gotten a lot better. Uh, I don't take a placebo pill, but I wouldn't say it's like, it's not your traditional meditation, but just having a bedtime routine, a more consistent bedtime routine, as well as cutoffs for my workday that has helped big time. So along those lines of just being able to get my mind to calm down has worked wonders in, in improving sleep. Well, and even to that effect, perimenopause, postmenopausal health, um, fitness and strength, good nutrition, sleep. If there were three fundamental pillars that I could say you, you need to focus on during this stage in our life, those are the three. Check your sleep, sleep help. Ask yourself, are you on screens right before you're going to bed? Do you have a routine? Doesn't have to be complicated. It can be quite simple, but tending to those three things are going to be wildly influential. So what is your best advice for a postmenopausal woman right now? Don't accept that suffering is your lot. Um, Your job at this stage of life is not, in fact, to just cope. Uh, You get to find help. There's help available. There are resources available. You have power and autonomy to make those changes and those shifts and to demand the kind of care you really want. It might be complicated. It might be a little frustrating and it can definitely feel a little bit messy, but don't give up. Fight for your own health. And and I think to think about what you really want your life to be like and then take the tiny incremental movements towards it. If your dream is to be an 80-year-old woman who can take strength training classes with Jordan, 
you know, start doing pushups on the counter against the counter, standing up. Like this doesn't, ha- it doesn't have to be like grandiose, big shifts, take tiny change, make tiny changes, take them today, yeah. you know, accept responsibility and, um, and some excitement for your own health. Awesome. Well, we are going to come back and record one more episode specifically speaking to the woman who isn't in perimenopause yet. So we're not quite done yet. We've done perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, and we got one more coming up for you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Beauty, Brains, and Barbells podcast. If you liked what you heard today, go ahead and give us a like, a share on Instagram. Let us know what more you want to hear from us so that we can truly make this the podcast that females go to to improve their resistance training experience.